Pickleball professional DJ Howard travels the country teaching pickleball through Gamma's Never Stop Playing Pickleball Camps. He was able to make some time to discuss serving as we take a deep dive into the subject on this podcast episode. We cover how to practice serving, how to overcome the yips when serving, and the drop serve. So to hear more from DJ, let's get to the intro. Welcome to the Pickleball Fire Podcast, where it's all about pickleball. Today, I'd like to welcome to the Pickleball Fire Podcast, DJ Howard. How are you doing today, DJ? I'm doing really well. How about you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Oh, you're so welcome. And I am glad that you could join. I know that you are a full-time pickleball instructor, so I know you have a lot of great information for people. But before we go there, tell me a little bit about how you first heard about pickleball, how long ago it was, and just kind of your origin story. Yeah. Well, I taught tennis at a tennis facility or a, you know, a health club in Michigan. And there were some members of the club playing this game down at the end of the tennis courts. And they invited me to play. I didn't know what it was. And they said, well, it's, it's pickleball. And I said, I was not one of these tennis people who said, no, I'm not going to try that. That's silly. I, my fir- I remember the first words out of my mouth were, I'm sure I'll like it because I had played squash. I had played other paddle and racket sports, table tennis. And sure enough, I really enjoyed it. The rules were a little difficult for me to follow with the, the two bounce rule. You know, I wanted to serve and volley and the ball bounced really low. And the first server and second server was a little difficult for me to get used to, but I really enjoyed it the very first time out. So how good were you with dinks and third shot drops the first time out? First time out? I don't know if I did dink or hit any third shot drops. I wasn't aware that those were really good options at the time. I was mostly just kind of hitting the ball back and forth. And I remember maybe the second time I played was several weeks after the first time I had played. The first time I played, I, it was only maybe a game or two just to kind of get the feel of it. And I wasn't able to play again for quite a while. But I do remember one of the other tennis pros and I were down in a game 10 to zero. And we kind of had a little talk to ourselves about how we wanted to change our game up a little bit. We ended up winning the game 12-10. But I remember we didn't do a lot of dinking still. We just tried to find some little gaps. And I do remember trying to hit it at their feet a little bit. But other than that, we mostly just kind of played a tennis style where we were trying to swing fast and hit the ball fairly hard. It wasn't until I got some advice from some other players weeks later that when they recommended, you know, if you can hit it softly and kind of arc the ball over and drop it at their feet, it's going to be helpful. And so then I was able to start hitting some drop shots and dinks and it kind of clicked, made a lot of sense. And that's what I started practicing. Regardless of whether you're hitting dinks and third shot drops, coming back from 10-0 to win 12-10, you know, that's a, that's a good win anytime. It was a lot of fun. You know, and our opponents were 
smiling the whole time. And it was just a fun game all around. But yeah, I mean, we just tried to find a way. And sometimes in pickleball, it's what you have to do. You find a way to, you know, find or exploit your opponent's weaknesses. You had said that you really knew you were going to like pickleball because you had played other racket sports. So my question then is, how long did it take you to kind of transition? I would imagine you played tennis and pickleball for a while, and aren't you pretty much full-time pickleball now? Yes. I travel the country teaching pickleball full-time. I still do some local lessons, so I still work at that same athletic club. It's the Michigan Athletic Club in East Lansing, Michigan. I still give private lessons. I'll do some small group lessons, but because of my travel schedule, I'm not able to do that very much anymore. Just when I'm home, I will do some on occasion. But, you know, I taught tennis full time there for 15 years and I became the pickleball coordinator. And I taught, I started teaching more pickleball lessons than I was tennis lessons. And so that's when I realized I knew I could delve more into pickleball. And I really got the urge to just do more and more pickleball. And I had less and less desire to want to do the tennis. So about two years ago, maybe a little over two years ago, that's when I stepped out into the pickleball scene completely. And I just haven't looked back. It's all I do. And like you said, you travel around throughout the country teaching clinics. Mm -hmm. What, what organization do you do that for now? It's never stop playing pickleball camps sponsored by Gamma. Gamma is my paddle and apparel sponsor. And they are kind of the spearhead behind the Never Stop Playing Pickleball Camps. I'm the lead instructor along with Vicki Foster. And I just absolutely love it. We do three-day camps, two-day camps. We'll do kind of half-a-day camps. And I just thoroughly enjoy all of it. I love the travel. I love the teaching aspect. I love meeting new people. I couldn't be happier with my situation right now. Now, are you still playing pickleball tournaments too? Yes. As often as I can, I don't get to play as often as I'd like because of my teaching schedule. I plan my teaching schedule first, and then I schedule tournaments outside of that. So I still do play. I don't get to practice and play as often as I'd like, but you know, the teaching is where I, you know, that's my career. That's where I make most of my money. So that's just the way it is right now. Uh, and I'm 44 years old. If I was 24 years old, it might be different. I might want to make a push at becoming one of the top players, but it's a little more difficult when you're 44. And so I've got to spend my time doing what I love and what I do best. And that's the teaching. One of the things that I notice on your website is that you had a slogan, and I, I think it's a mm -hmm. great, great one. It's practice with purpose and play with passion. Mm -hmm. So how, yep. how how was that? How were you able to kind of translate that philosophy to your students? Well, I try to encourage them to practice with intention. You know, that practice with purpose means that whether we're dinking, serving, hitting drop shots, hitting volleys. You want to be intentional with the ball and hit with a purpose. Select the target and envision where you want to hit the ball as opposed to just batting the ball around. 
if you want to improve your game, it's important to not just get repetitions. You want to get quality repetitions and you'll improve faster. And then the play with passion, that's just kind of a reminder to enjoy the game. It is a game. It's, it's not work for most people, but sometimes we get caught up in taking it too seriously or trying to win. And we really ought to be reminded that, yes, we can be intense. We can put in good effort, but it's a game. And so, you know, if you want to say that the emphasis is on the word play, then I'm cool with that because it's a game. And so the practice with purpose, play with passion, I think they go hand in hand. You can give it your all. You can strive to do better, but still enjoy that process. That all makes sense. And I know that one of the things that I wanted to talk about in the interview today is really a specific instructional aspect. And I had mentioned before we started the official episode that interestingly enough, I've kind of touched on that in a couple of interviews, but I don't really feel like I've gotten that deep into it. And so let me let me start with, you know, when you're first starting pickleball, because I know a lot of people who listen to this podcast are fairly new to the sport. Talk a little bit about, you know, how you teach someone kind of what stages you have somebody go through in terms of the technique of serving. Well, in terms of technique of serving, and and let me preface this whole uh, segment by saying I'm the technique guy. I went to school in college for, you know, I studied exercise science. And a couple of my favorite classes were biomechanics and motor development. And in each of those classes, we learned about how the human body develops certain motor skills and all the different types of skills where development takes place. For instance, throwing, catching, kicking, running, and so on. So I'm a big technique guy. I studied technique in tennis for many, many years. I really kind of have a keen eye for trying to notice technique in a lot of different sports. My dad was a basketball coach, and so he was big on shooting technique in basketball, ball handling technique, and so on and so forth. But with newer players, I try not to emphasize technique too much. The problem with emphasizing technique right off the bat is a student becomes hyper-focused on the physical movement and they fail to focus on what they're trying to accomplish with the ball. So I'm more focused on helping my student understand what they're trying to accomplish with the ball. For example, they want to envision a target in X location, and I want them to envision the trajectory required to get the ball to that specific target. Then that frees up their body to be able to try to execute the stroke and do it in a way that they're comfortable with. They won't be perfect at it, but I like to allow them to try to see if they can get the ball to that location first because then they can develop their own style and I can give them feedback on technique if necessary. I hope that makes sense. 
It does actually, you know, it's almost like when you're talking, it's about visualizing where you want the ball to end up. And if for some reason the technique is prohibiting you from really the goal in that case, you know, then you might work on technique, but really it's about, you know, just putting the ball where you want to put it. Right. And so we can account for different styles of play. It doesn't have to be a cookie cutter approach when it comes to technique. I think part of the problem with teaching a specific technique right off the bat is it's just not very comfortable for most students. It, it depends on their background, of course. You know, if they have a tennis background or a, another racket or paddle sports background, they're going to bring their certain style to pickleball already. And those can be modified. But if they don't have that previous experience, I would like them to get a feel for what they're trying to accomplish rather than just telling them what they need to do and forcing the mind to have to think about, well, I need to put my wrist in this location and I need to bend my knees like this and I need to put my elbow here and my shoulder here. That's very confusing. And it kind of detracts away from the ultimate goal, which is get the ball from point A to point B. Now, as you're trying to have people target, you know, where they want to hit their serve, do you have a specific location you want them to hit in the court or do you put out, you know, actual physical targets on the court? How do you kind of get them to move in that direction? Yeah, great question. Initially, I will place targets out on the court because that helps them to be able to visualize where they want the ball to go. If you don't use actual physical targets, it's a little bit arbitrary and it's difficult to concentrate. It's kind of like hitting the ball to this big, vast expanse. Whereas if you put specific targets down on the court, at least now they get feedback on how close they came to hitting that target. You know, if it falls short three times in a row, obviously. Now, there's an understanding that I need to make an adjustment to get that ball to go further. And they can start to figure out for themselves, once they've gotten that feedback, how it is they're going to make that adjustment. They just recalibrate. The same with if the ball is one side or the other side. If the ball is consistently going to the left, well, it's not rocket science to figure out we need to find another way to get that ball to go further to the right to hit that target. So there's more, I guess you'd call it like self-evaluation and that player can recalibrate if there's a specific target located on the court. Does that make sense? It, it does. And for that person who is really hitting too far to the left, mm-hmm. what type of adjustment do you have them make to bring it back a little bit more to the right? <laughs> Good question again. So I'm hesitant to just give them an answer. I like to ask questions. What do you think might be a good idea on how we can shift this ball to the right? It's consistently been to the left. Do you have any ideas how we can get that to go to the right? And they might give me different answers. And any number of those answers may be correct. They might say, well, I can adjust the paddle face. And that very well could be. How do we adjust the paddle face? Well, it might be they need to just turn their their hand a little bit. It might mean they turn their stance completely. 
It might mean they shouldn't be swiveling their hip too quickly through the stroke. So there are a number of solutions, but I would like them to feel what that solution is and come up with the answer themselves rather than me just telling them one particular option. I just wanted to break in here and say, as pickleball players, we want to get better at the sport. And it was in a recent interview with Hella Spar, I realized I didn't even do 10% of what she talked about on the court. So I've signed up for a doubles course, and you may want to consider doing so too. You can get more information by going to pickleballfire.com doubles. And just to let you know, I do make an affiliate commission if you purchase her course, and this helps to support the Pickleball Fire podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. I love that approach. When I was younger, I was a fairly high-level racquetball player. But when I first started playing, that's exactly what my coach did in terms of the style of teaching. I mean, it it worked great for me, so I'm sure it works great for your students too. I hope so. I mean, I like to think so. But in life, I think that's a general principle that holds true is if you can ask leading questions and get someone to answer for themselves, that information tends to stick better than if you just tell them an answer. That's been true in my experience, and that's something that I think has been true with uh, most of my students as well. Now, when it comes to having the targets on the court, Mm -hmm. where would you typically position those? You ask really good questions. It doesn't matter what level. I would like to shift my students' thinking into a more of a growth mindset. We do that by placing the targets in more aggressive locations. I would never place a target. I shouldn't say never, but rarely ever place a target right in the dead center of the service box, for example. Why not? Because that's encouraging them to practice average and to stay away from any and all risk. They learn to think that Out is bad and in is good. The problem with that line of thinking is as you start to play higher and higher levels, you have to be able to be willing to take on some risk. You cannot afford to hit the ball in the middle of the court each time and expect to win or to be effective against stronger players. So I'm going to place targets that are deep in the court, maybe to the corners. You can put one in the far corner of the service box. You could put one in the corner towards the middle of the service box way at the baseline. So it's right next to the other service box. You could even put one way up close in the corner to the outside sideline, right up by the non-volley zone line. And in practice, I want my students to go for those particular targets whether they're a high-level player, an intermediate-level player, or a newer player. Because what it teaches them to do is to be less afraid of risk. If they hit within six inches of the target, whether it's a little short, to the right side, or to the left side, or even beyond, you know, a little bit long, that's a successful result even if it was quote unquote out. So it's more about teaching my students to have a growth mindset and be willing to take on some risk 
as opposed to just getting the ball in the court. Does that make sense? It does. And I think my next question then would be, I can certainly understand, you know, the idea of taking more risk when you practice. What happens when you're playing more competitively or in a tournament? Right. So when we're practicing, if we know that we're taking on a higher amount of risk and there are no consequences, I still want to put myself in a mindset where I am competing and there's pressure involved. An example from basketball, if I'm practicing free throws, it's a lot more beneficial for me to practice free throw shooting. If I imagine I'm at the opponent's court, the crowd is screaming at me and our team is down by one point with no time left on the clock. That means if I make the next two free throws, our team wins the game. If I miss, then we either lose the game or maybe we tie the game and we have to go into overtime. So I'm feeling that pressure even in practice. So when I do go play a tournament, I'm comfortable with that pressure. And I'm not necessarily going to want to take on an inordinate amount of risk. I can always bring my targets in a little bit. But the very fact that I'm unafraid to push the limits a little bit and hit more effective shots, that's going to take me a long ways to being able to just compete well. Because if I'm afraid to take on risk in practice, guess what happens when you are in a competition? You're even less willing to take on risk. So we want to continue to practice in ways that are going to prepare us for competition. Does that make sense? Absolutely. You actually sound like uh, I can definitely relate to the um, basketball example and some of the things we had to do in our practices Mm -hmm. back in high school and in college, certainly. Question for people who might get the yips, so to speak, when serving. What advice do you give them? This is one of the most difficult things in sports to figure out, actually, because so many athletes have struggled with it in so many different sports. And it can be a real challenge to get somebody to, to overcome. What I like to tell my students to do is, is change something completely. Maybe they serve with their non-dominant hand for a while. Maybe they go with a backhand serve if they were, if they weren't doing so already. It's one of those tricky things that's very difficult to explain. You know, how can you explain the professional football place kicker who all of a sudden just can't seem to make a field goal. He's proficient at what he does. He's done it countless times over and over in practice successfully, and yet he can't overcome himself. Golfers, same thing. It's kind of a strange phenomenon. I don't have a magic bullet. I don't have some secret answer that I can give to say, well, oh yeah, you just do this and your yips are cured. I don't have that answer. But what I like to do is just try to get my uh, student to shift their thinking a little bit and get away from trying to focus so much on the technique of the stroke and trying to place it a certain way. Just change it up a little bit and try to relax. You know, obviously taking a deep breath is going to be important because that gets 
you know, your body centered and gets your mind right. But even still, it it's a difficult thing to overcome the yips. Sometimes it just takes a little time. I do have a good friend of mine. He's a, he's a really high quality coach. His recommendation is look up and to the left. And I don't know why that works, but he insists that it works. So that might be something that you could try for those who are struggling with the yips. But my personal recommendation is just try something else. If that, if you have a hang up serving it your same way and trying to be able to get the ball in the box, switch it up. Even if it means going to your non-dominant hand or trying a backhand serve, for example. You know, I've asked that question of a, a number of people, and I think you actually gave one of the best answers and in terms of, you know, doing something completely different, like using your uh, backhand serve, or actually even nowadays, you can do the provisional drop serve. Yes, I, that's a great idea. I, absolutely. I don't mean to interrupt you there, but that's another good suggestion is just change it completely by dropping it, allowing it to bounce, because now you're just hitting a ground stroke as opposed to hitting a serve, quote unquote. And I think it just takes the pressure off. Since we're on the subject of the drop serve, mm -hmm. is that something that you teach much or your students are doing much or, you know, I really haven't seen it a lot, to be honest. I teach it. I offer it as an option. Some people like it better and some people don't like it as much. It, it takes a little practice. The timing is a little different. I like it personally. I just haven't practiced it enough to be able to feel comfortable using it in a tournament. I feel like I can get a little bit more action and speed and control just using the, the regular toss. But with enough practice, I can see how it would be beneficial for me personally. And I think it is a good option for a lot of people, especially newer players. They feel more comfortable with it. So I encourage each individual to try it out and see what they think. Some people are going to like it better. Some are may not like it as well, but you don't have to use it exclusively. That's the nice thing about it is maybe use it 25% of the time. Maybe use it 75% of the time. You still have other options. So I would say for me personally, I'm using that drop serve maybe 10% of the time in a tournament right now. I'd like to get to the point where I'm using it maybe 50% of the time. I just need to get more comfortable with it. I need more quality repetitions in practice where I just feel good enough to be able to pull it out and use it effectively in a tournament. I have to admit the drop serve is actually my favorite since I have that racquetball background. It's yeah. almost like hitting a drive serve in racquetball yeah. because in order to get the ball over the line, to have a legal serve in racquetball, you still have to hit the ball high enough. So it's actually a really similar height to yep. a pickleball net. I can see that. Now, I have to ask you one more question about serving because you had mentioned that you had another coach who, who suggested try looking up and to the left if you have the yips. I just want to go back there for a second. Yep. Would the idea be then that you're you're kind of doing that right before you serve or while you're serving? How How would that work? Well, it would be right before, because if you're doing it as you're serving, you know, you're losing sight of the ball. But if I understand correctly, and I, don't quote me on this. I'd have, I, I should circle back around with him and, and talk to him 
in more depth about this. But, you know, each time you serve, you're going to want to take a deep breath. You see it in every sport, diving, basketball, tennis, gymnastics, right before that player is going to perform their, their flip or their twirl or their serve or their shot, they take that deep breath. And so I'm thinking the timing of it is, you know, the deep breath, look up to the left and then just kind of refocus in and stroke. I don't know why that works, but my friend insists that that works. I don't know if he can give you an exact reason why that works either, but he insists that it's kind of a proven technique that can help. It's again, it's not a magic bullet. It's not some secret sauce, but it's one of those little tips that has seemed to help most people. So you may even have to experiment with the timing of it. I'm going to, it's a good reminder to go back and talk to my friend and have him explain it in more detail about the, the timing of it and exactly why it works. But that's my best answer on that one. Well, all right. You have given some great tips on serving. I love the in-depth you know, direction you've gone and kind of your philosophy with all this. So to finish up the interview, just a couple questions I wanted to ask you. I always like to ask the pros, which pickleball paddle do you use and why? I currently use the Gamma Legend. To me, it's got a good balanced feel and weight to it. I do add a little bit of lead tape to it uh, because I like a heavier paddle, but it's got a nice soft feel off the face. I feel like I can get enough power, but I've got a good consistent feel when I'm hitting a third shot drop, when I'm dinking. And I've tried a number of different paddles. I've tried just about every brand, a number of different styles, just to see what's out there and see how the feel compares. I just really like the feel and the touch of the Gamma Legend paddle. Now, I know after people hear this interview, they are probably going to want to get in contact with you to find out about more about where you're teaching and such. Where is the best place to reach out to you? Probably Facebook. My account there is Daniel J. Howard Pickleball. If they just want to message me there, I'm pretty good about responding. I do have an Instagram account, but messages there I don't often get. That's more just, you know, I, I post some more personal things in, in addition to pickleball. If someone wanted to message me, you know, Facebook would be a good way. If they don't have access to Facebook, just my email. It's djhowardpickleball at gmail.com. righty. Well, DJ, I really appreciate you being on the show today. Just, you know, some great information on serving and thank you so much. Hey, you're welcome. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for listening to the Pickleball Fire podcast. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to give it a five-star review on Apple iTunes. 